Every March 8th, a little-known holiday is celebrated in some parts of the world. Russia, Belarus, Vietnam, Cuba, Cameroon, Brazil, the Czech Republic, France, Italy, Germany, just to name a handful. Each celebrating it in their own way. The day is mostly ignored here in the United States, which is an interesting twist to history since it was a holiday that originates here in this country. It's International Women's Day, a day the Socialist Party of America helped found back in the early 1900s. You may have noticed from the list of some of the countries celebrating it that there is no mystery as to why we don't celebrate it. The American aversion to the word socialist even extends to the origins of this holiday. Across the world, people celebrate it as they would Mother's Day here in the United States, giving gifts to important women in their lives, or they use it as a day of reflection on the gifts women have brought to the life of a country. And often still, it is a day of intense protest, a reminder there is still significant work to be accomplished for women's rights worldwide. Here in the United States, any celebration of this day is often in small pockets and very local, private, or it's left in the shadows, despite it being birthed in our own labor and socialist movements. In 1994, Representative Maxine Waters attempted to have International Women's Day recognized as an official U.S. holiday, only to have it never leave the House Committee on the Post Office. To add even more interest to the fact that the United States does not celebrate the holiday it helped create, each year the United Nations, still headquartered here in the United States, sets a theme for the day. This year the theme was quite broad. Think equal, build smart, innovate for change. I wonder how many of you celebrated that day. Did you even know it was a day on March 8th? Or was your only exposure to it similar to mine, that of Google changing their homepage for the day and that's it? Beyond the fact that this day is not officially celebrated in the United States, it is clear that women have both made significant progress in our society, but there is still so much to be done. Looking at the battles women are waging in our national politics paints a rather grim picture. The sad part is that it is grim not because the battles are anything new, but because a good deal of us are left wondering why on earth these battles still exist in the first place. Roe v. Wade was 46, is 46 years old this year, and it is still being fought as if it was a decision made yesterday. Now, many of you know what it is like far better than I ever will. Some of you, and well, just not some of you, 60% of this congregation live this every single day as women. If it isn't access to health care, it's fair treatment at work. If it isn't that, it's advocating for equal pay. If it's not that, it's something else entirely. For all of our progress, there are journeys toward equality our culture has yet to embark upon. Unitarian Universalists often feel very lucky when it comes to gender equality. Our Unitarian and Universalist ancestors were amongst the first to ordain women, to grant them theological and doctoral degrees, and to grant them the authority to lead and plant congregations. 
History is muddy as to who exactly ordained the first woman. But what we do know is that we were amongst the earliest. It's not a competition, though it certainly is a piece of our history worth celebrating. In addition to these early women ministers, we as Unitarian Universalists now have a denomination where nearly 70% of our seminary graduates are women. The president of our National Unitarian Universalist Association, the Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, is the first woman to be elected president of the UUA. Several women have gone on to be senior ministers of large UU congregations. The presence of women's spirituality in our congregations gave us our seventh principle, which states, we affirm and promote the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. Additionally, the presence and leadership of women also gave us our sixth source, which lifts up the teachings of earth-centered traditions. And, many of you know this, women are also the reason we celebrate water communion, a uniquely Unitarian Universalist holiday at the beginning of every church year in August or September. Our religious tradition has been impacted by and celebrates the gifts of women, and it has done so for quite some time. International Women's Day is a reminder that there is still work to do and that it is worth lifting up and celebrating stories that must be told. Not because we wish to languish in days gone by, but because we need to remember we rest on the shoulders of giants, trailblazers that made today possible. And now it is up to us to carry that into the future. One such story centers on a woman who wrote our reading named Florence Ellen Colick Crooker. Now, that's a Unitarian Universalist name if I've ever heard one. (laughs) While paying her own way through her studies at the University of Wisconsin in the 1870s, she took a job as a schoolteacher in order to pay her tuition. She quickly noticed, however, that the men were paid more than her and worked far less than she did. And so she started to advocate for increased pay of women as school teachers in Madison, Wisconsin. She was subsequently dismissed from her post for causing controversy, only to learn that her brother was hired in her place. And this is the part that stings the most. His starting salary was significantly higher than hers. She recalled that experience as, in her own words, deeply startling. I think the words deeply startling was the 1870s way of saying WTF. (laughs) What the heck is going on here? As heartbreaking as this piece of information is, I can look upon it as a modern minister and recognize it for what it is. Yes, it was deeply startling to her, but it also changed her life path drastically. That experience of being replaced by her brother became what we refer to as ministers as a call story. Every minister has one. Many of them are heartbreaking and complex. And for Florence, that experience is what called her to the ministry. Before graduating from the University of Wisconsin, she became affiliated with the Free Religious Association, which was a nickname that the Unitarians and Universalists adopted in what was considered the West back then. She knew what she had to do. 
she wanted to become a universalist minister. She enrolled at their seminary in Canton, New York, and while learning the ropes of ministry, she began preaching at the local Unitarian and Universalist churches throughout upstate New York. It's funny, in our history, we often tell people that we became combined Unitarian Universalists in 1961, but our history tells us right here that they were working together and sharing ministers in the 1800s already. She graduated and settled into her first ministry in Waverly, Iowa, and was ordained by the congregation in 1875. The ordination sermon was delivered by the Reverend Dr. Augusta Jane Chapin, the first woman to ever receive a Doctor of Divinity degree in the United States. She was also a Universalist minister. Now, if you don't know much about Waverly, Iowa, I don't. It's a town of no more than 2,300 people during that time. And Florence was being being called there was typical of women ministers during this time. The Reverend Olympia Brown, another pioneer of women's ministry, once remarked, Those who may read this will think it strange that I could only find a field, meaning a church, in run-down or comatose churches. But they must remember that the pulpits of all the prosperous churches were already occupied by men and were looked forward to as the goal of all the young men coming into ministry with whom I, at first, the only woman preacher in a denomination, had to compete. All I could do was to take some place that had been abandoned by others and make something of it. And this I was only too glad to do. (coughs) This was true for Reverend Florence Crooker as well. Waverly, Iowa, was abandoned by the male ministers of her time. She found ministry in churches that the men overlooked, that the New England elite would never even consider, and she made them thrive. This group of women that took the discarded churches of the Midwest became known as the Iowa Sisterhood. They were committed, they were called, and they were so deeply dedicated to their faith. And they were often more radical than the men. Augusta Jane Chapin proudly proclaimed once, let the creeds remain as historic landmarks and let's move beyond them. These women embodied everything it meant to be Unitarians or Universalists. And most importantly, they're wildly innovative and effective. From Iowa, Florence would go on to serve in Blue Island, Illinois, a congregation that no longer exists, Englewood, Chicago, and she would help plant a congregation in Pasadena, California. She became instrumental in what is called the Western Unitarian Conference, which Kentucky was a part of. It was the radical arm of the Unitarians in the Midwest that solidified our separation from Protestant Christianity. And her career kept up this way. She revitalized congregations in Montana, Massachusetts, England, Scotland, Virginia, and helped form the beginnings of a congregation in Knoxville, Tennessee. In between all of this, she'd spend her winters on vacation with her husband, guest lecturing at Berea College. I feel like I'm out of breath, (laughs) just lifting up Florence's accomplishments in her life. But they continued, and they are too innumerable to mention in one day. Now, for whatever reason, in the 1920s, Florence and her husband became frustrated at what they saw as growing opposition to religious liberalism. 
And for whatever reason, because of that frustration, they burned all of their papers and manuscripts in response to this. Most of Florence's writings, sermons, and anything else she intended to publish is lost to memory. They retired in Elgin, Illinois, where their son was serving as a minister as well. And she died in 1925. We have been digging deep into parts of our shared history as Unitarian Universalists that we do not often hear. I must admit, these have been my favorite sermons to deliver, our historic sermons. These stories, the ones we don't hear about, lift up stories of people who are the finest examples I could ever imagine of this faith. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth is a great example of living out your values and sacrificing for them. But so are Augusta Jane Chapin, Olympia Brown, and Florence Ellen Colick Crooker. Stories of trailblazing women that didn't just fight for the right to preach and be ordained, but in the midst of all of it, they transformed the faith. An innumerable amount of Unitarian Universalist congregations in the Midwest were founded, not by men, but by women. And I feel our history must be shared. It must be known and it must be felt. We do not have, as Unitarian Universalists, a single story, such as the one found in the Christian Gospels or the Jewish Pentateuch. We have story after story after story after story, oftentimes stories of people as humble as any of us in this room. Florence Crooker was a radical. You heard her openly critique the writings of the Apostle Paul in the Sunday Post. That was scandalous. But she continued. After listing the numbers of women who had been ordained since she was, she continued in that article. It's not at all discouraging, this outlook for women in the ministry, when we remember that the church moves slowly in all great reforms. Many evils have been and are permitted to thrive in the most churchly communities when the earnest, united, and determined efforts of the people could and would abolish them. Her critique of how slow churches move in making decisions ended on a high note. She loved the church with all of its flaws. She loved ministry, though it was always a fight for her, and some would say her life concluded with deep disappointment. But she sung out words of truth and hope. She wrote at the conclusion of her article, To the mother, sister, and daughter, the woman minister carries with her a peculiar favor and irresistible influence of the authority of a high priestess. And through this she leads and guides, she comforts and consoles, and thus the community, an individual come to realize the answer to the question, why a woman minister? Before Crooker left Chicago, before her retirement, she visited India and traveled abroad. She returned to Chicago to attend the First World's Parliament of Religions, where her mentor, Augusta Jane Chapin, was preaching to a room of mostly male colleagues. Chapin said at the end of the parliament, The last days of this parliament have seemed to many a fulfillment of a dream, nay, the fulfillment of a long-cherished prophecy. The prophecy, according to Chapin, Chapin, was an emancipated and enlightened womanhood. 
We remember these stories such as these just two short days after a holiday celebrating women that our nation does not officially recognize. We share these stories to remember that in all of our causes for justice, there is no quick fix, and the work is always ongoing. We also share these stories because we need to remember our deep and rich history. Oftentimes, it's joked that Unitarian Universalists are this crunchy granola, hippie religion where anything goes, but the reason that is possible is because we are built on the sweat, blood, and tears of women who fought and fought and fought to make this religion what it is today. But we also remember, because these were ordinary people with extraordinary vision. They harnessed the pain the world wrought upon them and used it for good. They used it to fill their hopes to be prophetic, to make a Unitarian Universalism where the spirituality and gifts of women are celebrated, but not just celebrated, a fundamental part of the faith. May we be that courageous. May we be that committed. May we be called to this work. Blessed be. Amen.